Hey, Pro fans, thanks for your support. Whether you're subscribing to the podcast through iTunes, visiting pulpmx.com, streaming the show via the Stitcher app on your smartphone, or buying from our show sponsor, btosports.com, without you, we could not do this. You can still type M-A-T-T-H-E-S upon checkout at btosports.com if your order is $100 or more for a discount. Lastly, for some insider info and maybe a laugh or two, Follow Mathis's Twitter updates at twitter.com slash pulpmx. episode of the Steve Mathis Show, there is a high chanceability. You will either learn something a lot of people don't know. You left thinking or make you say to yourself Dude, that's so funny. The bottom line is, this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview. Welcome to the BTOsports.com podcast show, brought to you by RacerX, hosted by Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, and with me on the line is a guy that I've been wanting to interview for a while, and I finally tracked down late at night up in Utah, and it would be none other than GP legend, Kurt Nicole. What's up, Kurt? Well, thanks for having me on, Steve. Um, oh. I, I, you know, it, I've been waiting to get on your show for as long as you've been waiting to interview me. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm just pumped when you actually acknowledge me in the pits and say hi. That's really cool. Um, do, do, do you make your people around there call you King Kurt? Or I, I try to. Yeah. Sometimes the <laughs> level of respect drops, but I try my best to keep the, uh, keep the name up. Yeah. No, I wouldn't expect anything else. Um, <laughs> hey, so let's, uh, let's, for people who don't know, I mean – Man, you've been around forever, racing as a first as a racer, then as a uh, director of KTM Racing for North America, right? Was it or was it Europe too? Were you everything? Uh, yeah, I was director of racing in Europe for well, first when I quit racing. I was motocross team manager in Europe yeah. um, for KTM, and then I was director of racing for KTM. I think for four or five years in Austria. Oh, okay. Came over to the states in 2006 and was director of racing 2006 through 2009. Yeah, and now you work for Nitro Circus. Yes, I do. Um, of course, Kurt Nicole works for Nitro Circus. I mean, it's a natural progression. You were well known for for your aerial antics. Um, <laughs> no, but hey, I'm, right off the bat, I'm really curious. I, I mean, uh, I worked with you a little bit at KTM in 2000, 2001. Um, I'm sure you remember me as one of the more stellar mechanics on the team. And uh, no, it was a nightmare. And oh. uh, I, you're just a racer. It's all you've been doing. That's all you know. And this KTM thing seemed to fit you perfectly. And when you switched jobs, it was uh, it was a bit of a shock. What what was the decision behind that? What went down? And uh, and it, maybe take us through that a little bit. Well, um, it, it's absolutely right. I I was a racer, and to be honest, from a personal standpoint still am a racer i mean i still ride every week mm-hmm. and i still absolutely love racing um but on a professional level two things happened i mean and almost simultaneously um you know i i'd been doing uh racing full time since 1981 right um and you know honestly there was a point there you know 2008 2009 where I didn't think I was as effective as I used to be just just because pure, you know, I don't know, burnout. Like passion. Uh, so yeah, passion was gone a little bit. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yep. 35 races a year, mm-hmm. um, traveling every weekend. And, you know, I just I, I felt like it, it was waning away. And, you know, I, I had that feeling for, you know, a few months. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really know what to do with it because I didn't know anything else. And, and almost exactly the same time with hardly any overlapped um, Greg Godfrey gave me a call and you know 
he, uh, I'd known Greg since he came over to Würzburg with Travis and mm-hmm. and uh, Jeremy Rawl and all the other guys, and and he he called and explained what was happening with his business, and you know basically said that um, there's a whole heap of creative people here and no one with any uh, level of organisation, and they're well <laughs> beyond that right now. Right. And would I would I be interested in in coming to work for them and you know, it it really just fell like that, and I thought, wow, what a huge opportunity! Mm-hmm. And and I thought it was a huge opportunity in 2009. And I think I had no idea. And I mean, it's just a, a massive opportunity and something that's, yeah, as well as being incredibly interesting to me because it's brand new. Right. Um, it, it's also, you know, it's 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 incredibly exciting as well. And all the things that are happening at Nitro Circus are. You know, it's just it's just a new challenge. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Sometimes in life you need a new challenge. Yeah, I was. I mean, not to make this my show, but as a mechanic, it was eleven years, and I was like, I just knew I was done. Do you know what I mean? I just was like, yeah, I just uh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had to explain, you know, to uh, a lot of people. You said it was, you know, a shock to you, and mm. and it was a shock it to was. a lot of people, and and at the time. You know, I had to explain to my wife and my parents and brothers, and you know, I, I'm going to get out of this, right? And go right. and do something completely different. And they're all like, "Really? <laughs> yeah." Because <laughs> I mean, you were KTM, and you know, you were racing. Those are just synonymous with your yeah. Synonymous. And I would not, I would absolutely not have ever felt comfortable doing something, you know, away from KTM, right? Um, yeah, like run another it, team or something. No, I mean, I, I I could never see myself doing that or or riding other color bikes or anything. You know, I mean, right. I am I am KTM through and through, and so you know, it was never a question of anything that mm-hmm. um, that I didn't like at KTM or anything that happened at KTM. I mean, I I had great relationship with everybody in Austria and America, and but I think they all understood as well. You know, I mean, yep. I was completely upfront and said. You know, I, I just feel like I need to do something else, guys. And that's it. The CEO of KTM, Stefan Peer, must have thought his phone was breaking up when you said <laughs> what you were gonna do. Um, hey, let's yeah. let, let's talk about the job now. So, so you're sort of, and I've talked to you a few times. You are a little bit of the animal wrangler of Nigel Circus. You've got Travis Pastrana, obviously doing what Travis does, and you guys have a, um, a movie coming out. You've had TV shows, uh, is that correct? And I'm just saying you're the you're the guy that makes it kind of happen behind the scenes. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a, a massively expanding franchise. It, um, when I came here, there was obviously we were just finishing off with the second season of the MTV TV show, but you know since then we're right in the middle at the moment of a, a live tour. Which mm-hmm. started in Australia last year, went to New Zealand, and has, has been incredible. Um, and it, it's going to be coming to uh, to the US um, at the end of this year, uh, then going on to Europe. Um, it's 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 a phenomena. It's yeah, an incredible I show. Forgot about it, that. It, You're right. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, we go into production on a 3D feature film on the 18th of April. Um, uh huh which should be released around this time in 2012. Wow. So a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. Um, and you I got... mean, a whole heap of, uh, you know, licensing deals mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, merchandise and all sorts of stuff that's around it, monster trucks. And, I mean, we just have a whole heap of stuff going on. And I guess my job, exactly like you say, I'm surrounded by creative geniuses and geniuses like Travis Pastrana just have to corral everything together and you know try and use the guys to their strengths. When are we going to see you in one of these natural circusy things? I I made a vow when I came here that I wouldn't get in front of the camera and in the main I've gotten away with that. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> and I intend to stay that way. I mean sometimes I get tempted yep, because yep. there are things that I feel like I could do and I would enjoy doing but yep, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to become a uh, you know one of these screen hogs. <laughs> there has to be people behind the cameras as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy Bell still handling the merchandise sec- end of it? Talking to screen hogs. Did you say Andy Bell? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I did, actually. I was uh, I was filming a tech tip for Transworld website when he bust in and 
demanded to be on camera. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, he's not doing the merchandise anymore because hmm. we are. Okay. That that got way too big. And oh, really? Way way more than he could do really quickly. Shocker. He's, actually, he's on tour uh, yeah. with the live tour right now in Australia, and obviously is going to be filming the feature film. Yeah. Um, starting 18th of April, so he's uh, fully busy with with all those things. Um, who'd have ever thunk that this would be so financially rewarding for everybody and have this big company and this shows from just these guys starting out with a, with a, with a Sony Handycam in the backyard of Pastrano's house, huh? No, it's pretty amazing. Right? Um, like... <laughs> and and I, I think, to a certain extent, I got it as soon as they came over to Würzburg because yep. Travis is such a personality and he was surrounded by these other personalities like Andy and... Mm-hmm. And Greg and Jeremy and these guys, and I, f- I figured way back then that they had something that you know there's definitely no one else had, um, and yeah. you know, they've proven it time and time again now, and you know, it, it's really, it's really great. I uh, I did one of these with Pastrana maybe I don't know two months ago, three months ago, mm-hmm. and uh, was very surprised to hear him talk about how he's much happier now than he was when he's racing. When he was racing, he had no life, wasn't able to do anything. You know, bed at nine o'clock, exercise, uh, motos, and how much happier is doing this now than he was when he was winning championships? You know, so yeah, and and Travis, I think you know this was this was absolutely the right move for him because obviously he's a hugely talented mm-hmm. athlete, X Games and and motocross championships before that, but above all else, the guy is an entertainer. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's it. That's where he thrives. It doesn't matter where he is or what he does. He entertains and. Yeah. He's incredible. He really is. Um, hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about KTM nowadays. I mean, big push over here in America. Um, hiring Roger DeCoster and Ian Harrison and 350s out. Looks like you know they hired some great riders. Um, you sit back. Are you proud of it? Do you do you follow it like the KTM guys? And you're happy the program seems to be chugging along? No, I think it's doing way more than chugging along. Yeah. I mean, I I think that the and I, I've only been to one Supercross this year live, but I've watched a bunch on TV. Right. And um, I think that, that the 350 is a, an awesome Supercross bike. I think that Andrew Shaw looks, in in my opinion, way better on, on the KTM than he's, he's looked on any of his other bikes. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he hasn't hit the podium yet this year, um, but he's been really, really close. And, I mean, he's he's against... Everybody, you know, right, I, right. if he'd have been riding, uh, if this had been last year when there was no Reed, there was no Stewart, there was uh, no Canard, there yeah. was even Dun- uh, even Villapoto for you know eight races or six races. Yeah, Villapoto was out as well for most of the time. I mean, he'd have been consistently second or third right now. I, I think they've done a, a great job, and mm-hmm. and I think the 350 is is the way to go, not only at top level but at every level because. Um, right. You know, I, I don't know if you how much riding you do, Steve, but 450 is a handful, and I've still got one mm-hmm. because uh, you know it takes a long time for old people to change. But uh, <laughs> well, I am seriously on the verge of giving them the 450 back and asking for a 350. Oh, I'm really? Almost there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with the 350, I think, is for uh, older fat guys like myself, it's probably still a lot of work. A guy with a skill like yours, maybe, but. Uh, 450 is nice to be lazy on, you know, but uh, it is too much for the indoor stadiums. I agree with you on that, you know. Yeah, I think it's a lot everywhere, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. If I – the main races that I do now are like the Vet Worlds at Glen Helen and yep. the GP at Glen Helen and things like that. And, you know, I, I still ride all the time, but, um, you know, 25, 30 minutes on a 450 is a, is a real handful. And but I, Like I say, back to where the KGM yeah. program is now, I think it's awesome. And uh, I think they had a great choice in taking Roger there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they took their opportunity. And um, I still go to KTM. You know, I still live in Temecula, although I commute, commute a lot to um, to Utah. But, I, you know, I still go by the shop a lot. And they've mm-hmm. made loads and loads of improvements there. The shop looks great. I think the team is happy. And I think Roger's doing an awesome job. And, yeah. and they're getting the rewards for it. And the fact that Andrew's showing how great the bike is, you know, it'll, you know, it'll mm-hmm. just attract better riders, um, and you know, they're not far away from a championship. I can and, be 
sure of that. Yeah, I think they've got one in Roxon, or they got one coming. That kid, very impressive. You know, as you oh, know. Um, amazing. Yeah, great sign, great pickup for, for KTM, no doubt about it. I'm sure yeah. uh, Suzuki's kicking themselves daily, whatever happened there. But uh, Yeah, and Muska as well, which yeah, we point. haven't seen much of here in the States. But uh, in my opinion, you know, equally as talented and great as uh, Roxon. I mean, mm-hmm. those two kids, I mean, they're definitely – they're both future champions. Right, right. Uh, any career highlights for you running the KTM program here in America? Like, obviously, Langston winning the 03 title um, probably was pretty cool. Anything else that you uh, – or is that the sort of the, the highlight for you? Um, I don't know. We we went kind of week to week. And, um, you know, I, I think the most enjoyable time for me, um, which was probably uh, when – Alessi was racing the outdoors in his first season. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, he finished second. Right. won. We had a lot of great races, won a lot of races. And I, I think that was probably the the funnest time for me uh, when I was here full-time. Yep. Obviously, when Grant won the championship, I wasn't here full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, we, we, we struggled in Supercross. Yep. Um, and there was changes that were necessary to be made to the bike. We don't need to labor the point. And they've made the changes now, and they will reap the results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, also, too, like when Alessi was racing it, yeah, you didn't win the title, but it was like I think Ramsey was in there, too. And it was like here's KTM as equal or better than all the Japanese bikes fighting for the win each and every week, just like all the other guys, which it had never really came to that. You know what I mean? Like – there was a ton of talented guys on a KTM. Yeah, and, so. and it's difficult to uh, to come from Europe to this, mm-hmm. to that, to that mentality because in Europe KTM is you know mm-hmm. is and always you know has been for years uh, one of the number one brands, and to come here and have to fight for recognition. But you know, there's no doubt that that recognition is there now, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's ten or fifteen years of, of hard labour. Right, right. There now, and uh, you know, I think the KTM is is totally proving itself in Supercross. Uh, any regrets running the KTM thing? Any any riders that you almost signed, or anything that you almost had happen and didn't, or something you would have done differently running the, the program all those years? Um, as far as Supercross goes, anything, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have put a link on the back of the bike five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you and a lot of riders that that, that crashed in the whoops, but <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. But uh, you know, I mean, yep. we so we that was a fight for you. Put, that, that was yeah, it, yeah, it was a fight, mm-hmm. and you know, um, I, I knew what was needed for Supercross, right. and uh, I'm just so happy for everybody that's involved right now right. that they have the chance to really be able to compete, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, and uh, and like you said, you you presided, proceeded, presided, proceeded, proceeded over some, I don't know what the word is, some great riders and some great races for KTM in America. Although, yep. you know, you didn't look over the first ever win by KTM in North America. That was tuned by me. You weren't there then. No, really. Kelly Smith. But uh, yeah. I like to think maybe I, KTM. I remember it. I mean, I wasn't involved in yeah, any way, yeah. shape, or form. But I remember it happening. Right, right. Just like Kelly almost told me that it was despite you, not because of you. But I mean, <laughs> whatever, you know. I'm still waiting for a plaque or something from from those guys. Something. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, um, let's take it back to your racing career, which is a long time ago. But um, you've certainly had many, many highlights. Four second place finishes in the GPs. I know I give you shit, and as does Villaman, but. Um, many GP race wins. Looking at your career, I didn't realize this, but you were winning GPs. I always think of you sort of as the late 80s, 90s guy, but you were winning GPs mid-80s, which I remember, you know, that's Thorpe, Malaire, Gabor's, Works Hondas, the height of the GPs, let's say, the 500 GPs that never got any better than that, you know, back in the day. So uh, congratulations. I didn't realize you were that good. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. No, I yeah. just, I don't remember. I was pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> no, I thought, like, I was thinking, like, for sure he won in, like, 88. I know that. And he won, he almost won in 87 when Joe Bay won the title. Uh, but I, I didn't realize that, you know, against the Works Honda. So were you on, you were on a Kawasaki then? Yeah, I was on a Kawasaki. I actually, I I rode KTM when I 
Well, no, I started on Kawasaki, then rode KTM, and then rode Kawasaki, and then KTM. But um, right, uh, yeah, I mean, I was there absolutely at the height. My, you know, early days um, in GPs was Carl Quist and Malherbe yeah. and Thorpe and Jobe and Gibbs and everybody. I mean, it was the, the full set, and I mean, there was ten factory bikes in the race then. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was great. I was. You know, I was up and coming then, and I was the, right. the young kid. But um, no, I, I mean, I had a long career. I had 15 years in World Championship motocross. So yeah. I, I saw a lot of changes and a lot of different riders and great riders back then in the mm-hmm. 80s. And then, you know, when I when I quit, then we were up to the, you know, we'd gone through Albertine and Donnie Smith. And right. We're already to the Everts era well into the Everts era when I quit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, you covered it. <laughs> yeah, I, I covered quite a few years and some incredible riders, for sure. Uh, what was it like back then with the Works Hondas on a cow... I mean, was I know you the Cowies were nothing to sneeze at, but did, did you feel, like, a little bit powerless? Because weren't those bikes just... The Works Hondas just so good? Yeah, they were. Yeah. They, they absolutely were. I mean, they, they had that uh, domination at that time whereby they had the best bikes and... You know mm-hmm. they hired the best riders, and but I I don't have any actual regrets. Um, I never had the possibility to get on the Honda team. Um, yep. I had discussions with them once, I think at the end of '87, and it didn't come to anything. And um, so you know, I yep. mean, uh, who knows? Um, you know, I, I mean, that's certainly I wouldn't use it as as any kind of excuse they were a really tough team to go against but you yeah. know the best teams normally get the best riders and you know i i think i i rode uh through some golden years then right and some great riders and um really enjoyed it uh was there is thorpe older than you i think yeah he's a couple of years older a couple of years me. older so was there yeah. like a huge rivalry growing up with with thorpe yeah absolutely um like did you guys because, get, did you get along um, no, no, on and off. I mean, we, we definitely had our moments. Um, I get along with him when I see him way better now than I did then. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we tend to forget because, you know, we live here in America and um, right. we have our national championship that's the be-all and end-all. But in Europe, you have, as well as the world championship GPs, you also have national championships, right. which are like, you know, smaller but still important if you're English to mm-hmm. be British champion and... And obviously, at the same time as we were racing for world championships, me and David were also both British. And so there was a massive rivalry. And, you know, the the press blew it up as right. much as they could. And, you know, a few times we took each other down. But <laughs> um, in in all basicness, he was always that little bit better than me. So normally when we clashed together, I crashed and he didn't. So Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I figured that, you know, just with two – super fast guys coming from one small country it's natural that the press or the fans would get on one side or the other you know what i mean it's just it's just how sports work yeah so. it was like that and mm-hmm. uh um you know it was uh it was still fun i mean if you look back on it and right. you know when me and david have looked back on it since you know it was it was an awful lot of fun um to have that rivalry and it, it pushed us all on what what tends to happen you know if you get mm-hmm. Um, a, a rider that comes up that is super fast, he tends to, you know, bring another crop with him. And and I think, you know, at that time, me and David were running top three in the world championship, and there was a whole host of other English riders that were running like lower end of the top ten and top fifteen yeah. around that time because the rivalry was strong and the pace was good. So, right, I mean, guys, it was like, great times. Guys like Rob Herring and, uh, um, well, he was a little bit later, but. Um. What the uh, you know I did one of these with Thorpe and I my only my only indication about David Thorpe came from motocross action so never really knew much about the guy besides he was angry at everything and didn't like didn't like America or something I don't know you know how it works so mm-hmm. I did one of these with him and he found him to be I found him to be an enjoyable guy uh, not much ego on him kind of like whatever you know um, so yeah it was cool interesting to talk to a guy years later yeah so. he got he got a bum rap here in the states yeah, because, yeah. Uh, I mean. It, and he he was a a great rider. I mean, the, the honest truth is, is that around that era, mm-hmm. um, 
we were so far behind the Americans in terms of technique mm-hmm. that, uh, of course, you know, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely right. The first time I came to the States was 1984, and uh, I was, however old I was, like 19 years old, and mm-hmm. um, I came a week early. I came on my own because I, you know, I didn't have a mechanic or anything. I was riding KTMs and Sel and Ariana picked me up from the airport. <laughs> and But I went to Carlsbad the week before mm-hmm. um, on a Sunday because they had a local race there just to watch because we were racing Carlsbad at the GP the week after and yep. Rick Johnson and Ron Lachim were racing. And I stood on the second bend and they came towards me and I, I swear and I still remember it, I thought their throttles had jammed. <laughs> Because they were so freaking fast. They came towards me, and I jumped back from the fence because I right. thought they were coming straight through the fence, and they put the brakes on and turned the corner, and I thought, you can't ride like that. I've never seen anything like it. You're like, this GP is going to be a long race next weekend. It's going to be a long race, and you know, I think I saw them twice in the race as well because <laughs> I saw That's... them on the start line and when they lapped me. That might be the funniest thing I've ever heard. You thought their throttle stuck. No, um, I genuinely yeah. did. Right. I jumped back. Wow. Um well, yeah, the, the, the pendulum has swung back now where I think the Euro riders are as good as what we've got over here, you know. Um, Supercross skills and everything, just rock, watch Ken Roxon. It, it's, it's, you can really throw him in a hat and pick him out, you know, maybe save for James Stewart. But. Yeah, no, it, it swung around, yeah. um, you know, but, the, through the 80s for sure. There was a big difference in right. technique. Um, it's amazing when you go back, um, when, when you're an old fart like me, I mean, it we didn't really know in the early 80s, mid-80s. We had no internet and yeah. no no real, no videos or anything. So we didn't even know what was going on over here. Right, right. And so it, it was the shock to see the technique when we saw it, and it took a long time to catch up. But, mm-hmm. you know, by the time, um, you know, by the time I was coming over here in the mid-90s, yep. racing, you know, with guys like Albertine and... Uh, um, you know, when Bob Moore and Donnie Smith and people were over in Europe racing, yeah. I mean, the the gap had closed completely. Yeah. Um, and it, it stayed pretty close ever since. Uh, um, so all of you guys would just be like, oh, man, we got to go to Carlsbad next week. we got to go to Hollister. Oh, great, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I absolutely hated the idea of it because I went from, you know, running on the podium to mm-hmm. running in seventh, eighth place. Yeah. And a bunch of American. My the only GP that in a, in the states that I ever really did well in was I think ninety nineteen ninety. I finished third behind Gibbs and Johnny O'Mara. That was the only decent GP I ever had over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. You're right about how the how the styles change. Uh, did you get along with uh, Gabor's, Malaire, Jobe, all those guys, or was it uh, as tooth and nail as what I remember as a kid? Um, I mean, they all had different characters. Yeah. Um, Andre Malheur was, you know, really laid back, and um, to be honest, I only raced with him for a couple of years before he hurt himself. Right. Um, Eric Gabors, I got on great with, and you know, I actually when I in '95 I raced uh, factory Hondas in a team that he managed in Belgium. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Joe Bay, he, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I always got on all right with George. I don't think. Call us close friends, but it's all right. Right, right. Um, uh, your, your best shot at a title, probably '87, or that one year, the year that you were leading on a KTM for a while, huh? What was uh, what was your no, best? No, my my best shot. I mean, I had two shots where where I should have yeah. won in '91. Um, I won, uh, I think, nine of the first ten motos. Mm-hmm. And I was leading the points by a mile, and then I I crashed. I made a mistake in practice and broke my femur. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was '91, and then '92, I came back from the broken femur, and I lost the title by one point to Joe Bay. Um, and that 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 one hurt. Yeah, it sucked. And right. I went into the last round, um, ten points behind. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and it was three motos that year mm-hmm. um, in each event. And I figured, you know, if I win all three races, um, that's my only chance. And there's no way Joe Bay will get three seconds. Right. 
and I won all three races, and Joe B got three seconds. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, great. And I spent um, probably six or seven years not sleeping, worrying about whether I should have slowed up and tried to knock him off. But <laughs> 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 You're like, damn it. Uh, yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast show. It's that time. Time for a commercial. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. Racing since 1970, O'Neill is the original American MX company supplying fine apparel, protection, and accessories for over four decades. O'Neill is proud to support top racers worldwide, including the Moto Concepts Yamaha Racing Team in the U.S. Supercross and Outdoor National Series. In 2010, O'Neill worked with top racing professionals, including Grant Langston, Tim Ferry, and Ricky Dietrich, in developing its all-new 2011 line. O'Neill's hardware line is the toughest money can buy and has been critically acclaimed for durability, fit, form, and function by Motocross Action Magazine. Hardware pants and jerseys are designed to function while putting you ahead of the pack in fast-forward fashion. When it's time to gear up, check out O'Neill.com or an authorized O'Neill dealer near you. What happened when you, when you left Cowie to go to KTM? What, uh, what was the deal there? What, uh, what transpired? Because when you kind of went to KTM, they weren't the greatest bikes back then. Oh, that, that is a long, long time ago. <laughs> um, and they were good bikes. Yeah. That, that's the truth. Um, you know, uh, again, I think they, they never had a program or anything that ran right. efficiently at all in the States. Um, and, you know, the stock production bikes were totally set up for Europe, and they weren't even set up at all for the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't. They were. They were good motorcycles in Europe. They really were. And you know, my first stint with KTM, I was. I was very young, but I loved the bike. And then mm-hmm. I went and rode factory cowies for three years. But I had no hesitation to come back to KTM. Even then, I mean, I there was a lot of positive points to the bike. Oh, okay, and, all right. You know, so, it, it it wasn't bad. That's just me reading bike shootouts as a kid and going, "Wow, KTM got last." <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> They, even to this day, they struggle to get anything but last here in the States. But, um, oh, MXA's, you know, MXA's back on them, though. No, uh, back then, yeah. really, they were, they were, they were European yeah. through and through mm-hmm. and on European tracks. I mean, we had races like, uh, just thinking back to some of the old tracks like Sittendorf and Namur and these places, they didn't have one single jump on the track. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Good you know, point. compared to everyone here was, you know, riding tracks pretty much the same as they are today, and yeah. we we had no no jumps at all, and so the bikes were not suitable for the states. Mm-hmm. But they were they were good bikes in Europe. Right, ninety uh, four destinations. You were on the team that brought down the Americans after twelve years, thirteen years of wins. Um, thirteen years. Thirteen years, and uh, and you guys did it. You, Rob Herring, and Paul Malin, right? Yep. Uh, what was that like? Uh, how, how awesome was that? Uh, it was incredible. That I mean, un- undoubtedly the highlight of my oh, yeah? racing career yep. without any question of a doubt. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, and uh, I was going to get to what I thought would be your highlight in a little bit here, but okay. <laughs> well, winning, winning the overall in the nations in '97, I th- I would think would be, you know. No, no, nothing yep. compares to '94. Absolutely okay. not. No, I mean it was, uh, you know, it was. We had a. A good team, mm-hmm. um, but we absolutely weren't anywhere near the favourites. Yeah, um, you know, I was, I think, a, a solid bet on the five hundred to at least finish in the top three. But I mean, Herring was on and off. Yeah. Um, Malin was off way more than he was on. Um, but that day, I mean, Malin was completely unbeatable. Herring had one race where he was basically unbeatable. Yeah, and I had two solid races, and I mean, we we just. We crushed it, and yeah. they actually um, changed the regulations after '94 because in the before '94.
94 and 94 as well the you got classed by your in your class so you know if in the 125 500 race if you were if, if you finished eighth and you were the first 125 mm-hmm. you got you got one point for being the first 125 yeah. So in the set, in the last race of the day, um, I was running, I think, second or third in the race mm-hmm. with four or five laps to go. But the next 500 was running like ninth. Right. And uh, you know we were all in in panic, and they were all like telling me to slow down. So yeah. I really slowed down. And the last few laps, I went from like second to sixth or seventh, um, just to protect. Yeah. I, which made no difference to the points. And yeah, 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 yeah. The FIM absolutely hated it. And mm-hmm. the year after, they changed it to how it is now, where you score points by your race. Yeah, doesn't matter what, what you are. Yeah, it doesn't matter what yeah. size bike you're on. Now, uh, so you knew, as soon as you crossed the finish line, you knew you won. Hey, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I still think back to it. I didn't make the finish line. Oh, well, I'm going to protest. Hold on. I'm going to officially file a protest. <laughs> <laughs> there was a like a turn around a tree at Roggenborg, uh-huh. and then you went over a little jump, and then it was like a long left-hander that actually went over the finish line, and I didn't get over the jump yeah. um, before the crowd that was um, gathered on on the finish line straight yeah. carried me off the bike, and they carried me over my shoulders like a <laughs> wow. rock star. Really? All, and I got over the finish line on the crowd's shoulders. And this was in Switzerland, right? In Switzerland, it didn't matter. It, it didn't was matter. Europe against, Europe against America. <laughs> Thirteen years of Americans. There was Swiss guys there that were crying. Yeah, really? Huh? <laughs> I can't believe that. Wow, uh, an, an Englishman getting carried by Switzerland. Just no, all, everybody. I mean, everyone just was fed right. up with the Americans winning. But yeah, but we always, as you know, the British fans there hugely passionate about motocross yes. so there was a lot of british fans there as well and right. it was it was hysteria it was really fantastic and the after party must have been phenomenal too well we brits don't like to party yeah yeah not at all uh, <laughs> you're right very very calm very uh, yeah very calm yes. and collected yeah you remember that from when you were at ktm you know? yeah exactly mm-hmm. um uh well okay I, I i i thought maybe the 97 race where you won did you go one one i know you won the overall um, on the 500. Well, the interesting thing for me that day was that um, I mean, the, I wasn't as good as that made it sound, but I mean that race was billed as Emig versus uh, Everts and mm-hmm. who was the fastest guy on the planet and all you know, right. the normal stuff that gets built up and beautiful sunny day and you know the track was rocky and nasty but i mean the track was in good condition and mm-hmm. then for some inexplicable reason and the americans still think it's a conspiracy but i have no idea why maybe it was yeah. but i wasn't involved in it i mean we went out to the start line and it was a mud race i i, mean, I, I remember yeah they totally overwatered the track and <laughs> you know i i just took one look at the track and thought hello that looks really english and uh, <laughs> it's like canada I, heights in in, in uh, february yeah, exactly. And it was a mud race, and I hole shot. And, you know, I had Emmick and Everts behind me, and I just rode away from him in the mud, filled him right. in with mud on the first two laps, and then rode away. And Nice. Anyway, it was, had it been dry, Steve, they would have come past me, and they would have beaten me. So <laughs> it was conditions. Oh, okay. So much like <laughs> Kelly Smith's 2000 Mount Morris win. Yeah, if we want but I'll take it. You know, I mean, right. I told right. as many people that was listening to me that I must be the fastest rider on the planet in '97. It's been proven. Beaten the two. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a rec. It's in the records. Yeah, you, you can there. look. <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, what was uh, what was Rob Herring like as as a rider? I always cheered for him as a kid, and he never seemed to put it together. What was his deal? Yeah, he, he, that was complex. And I okay. don't know how many people here in the States remember him, but um, yeah. he came over to England late 80s, and he came over with his dad, mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, it was a full, um, you know, Tony Michaelesi type, um, you know, the, yeah. the the father absolutely, you know, he ran yeah. the son's career and did a, a great job on it, and the two of them were an awesome team, and but his dad you know, pushed him and, yep. and really made him work hard. And, and Rob was, you know, he, he tended to crash a little bit. 
but he was an incredible rider. Yeah, yeah. But that, but they had some kind of I don't know, fallout, or the dad ran out of money, or whatever, and then his his dad went home. I think like ninety one. South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, to South Africa, yeah, home, yeah. South Africa, and and Rob, you know, I mean, he just never had the the same drive. I yeah. I think had his dad stayed and they'd have stayed as a team, then I think Rob could have probably won world championships early nineties. Mm-hmm. But once yeah. his dad was gone, I mean, he just uh, you know he lost his drive. He he put on weight, and you know he just was never the same rider and. I mean, I, I felt like I had a few lucky escapes in my career because mm-hmm. I went from being the, the number one rider in England. Um, you know, once Thorpe had gone over his top in like late eighties, but then yeah. Malin and Herring and Dobb right. and these, these kids all came up. That at one stage there, I was like twenty-five and passed it. But none <laughs> of them, none of them could keep it together. Yeah, um, and. You know, I, I had a career that went on for another eight years, winning national championships in England. Mm-hmm. And they they never beat me, but I was kind of lucky that you used your savviness, your veteran savvy. Um, yeah. Was Dobb the last England world champion? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, it's been a long time. And that was when you know I was I was very yeah. very involved in that championship because I was his team manager and right. Um, he was he was great there. I mean, I. I really get on well with James. I, I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, I definitely count him as a close friend. And yeah. he's, uh, you know, we we had two years there where we really worked hard together. Yeah, you know, I was I was still racing a lot. I actually did a short comeback there that year. Oh, you did? Oh. Did a GP and motocross to nations in 2001 or 2002, whenever it was, just because <laughs> I was riding with James all the time. England, yeah. England really, really reached back to, for some few, yeah, for some old glory. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's Nicole's do? What's Nicole's number? Get it, get him on the horn. Um, yeah, it was. I, I'll tell you uh, the story how it how it is. Mm-hmm. It's boring, but I raced the GP based on riding with um, with James every right. week, and I thought I, you know, I could still ride pretty much as fast as James and he was winning GPs. So I thought I'll do a GP and I, I finished fifth, I think, and beat yeah. both the other two factory riders I was supposed <laughs> to be managing at the time. And, but I did it on the basis of minimal yeah. training and riding once a week with James. And then just straight after, the week after, the um, team manager for Motocross Nations called and said, you know, would I do Motocross Nations uh-huh. based on that one result, the one race I'd done all year? And I said, sure. And so... <laughs> I had a month to get ready, and I thought, right, this is really my last chance. I'm yeah. going to train like hell, and I'm going to ride every day. And by the time I got to the Motocross Nations, I was completely tired out. Yeah, yeah. Rode like crap, felt like crap, sure. realized that I was way, way past it. Should have stuck to your once a week. <laughs> Would have been much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what happens, really. I yeah. mean, that's one of the things about getting too old is you, you can't train like you need to because mm-hmm. you're too tired and... Um, Grant Langston uh, kind of came out of nowhere, I think. Anyways, did he surprise you? Did he? I mean, he picked up. You got you, you got him on that champ team of Vandervan there, and uh, uh, but really, like to me, guy kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, what did you think when you first saw him? And 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 does his success as a, as a world champion and, and even over here surprise you at all? No, no, I wasn't surprised because no? I, I was I was surprised when I first saw how great he was. Yeah, um, but I mean, you realised it immediately. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. The first time I saw him ride, and well, he, he used the to truth tell is, me, he, he sorry to interrupt. He used to tell me he sucked all the time when he first started. He got lapped. No, well, he, he did get lapped yeah. when he first came over, but midway through that first year, he suddenly sparked up. And I mean, that's why he basically stayed on that champ team for mm-hmm. uh, you know an extra year as opposed to the factory team, because we filled up the, the factory team with uh, Dob and I think Patrick Caps or someone like that. And, you know, just as we'd signed the two riders for the factory team, mm-hmm. suddenly you saw Langston. And, I mean, I realized straight away that this kid was making progress way quicker than expected, but mm-hmm. we didn't have space for him. And so we gave factory bikes to the champ team, right. which... You know, Grant obviously went on to win the championship and yeah. did a great job, and it and it started. You know, then the champ team took over the factory team within a couple of years, and it actually all worked out really, really well. But yeah. 
I, you know, it, it was obvious, pretty obvious, pretty quickly. Yeah. Was it so, uh, was it a bit of an ordeal to juggle Langston and Dobb? From what I understand, they didn't really get along. No, they didn't get along at all, and the <laughs> and the rivalry between the factory team and the champ team was intense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was difficult to juggle, but it was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, KTM totally dominated the world championship 125 at that time. Yeah, and that that rivalry really helped it for years there. Yeah, kind of like Team Honda in the early 90s with Bale and uh, and Stanton. You know, like yep. it was like a team within a team, all fighting each other, but but doing well. You know. But. Yeah, if you if you can manage that, right. and that's one of the skills of managing things. I mean, that situation, if you can manage it, is great. It's just not always easy to manage. And I and uh, I imagine Langston's probably thought you were on Dobbs side, anyways. <laughs> the he's, English. Yeah, he still brings it up now. Yeah, you know, yeah. he still thinks I was on Dobbs side that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but then, talking about how cool it was to work with Langston, a little bittersweet near the end of his KTM days, huh? Where he basically. I don't know. Did he get hurt, or he quit, or you guys fired him? It was it was a, kind of a bad ending to his KTM years uh, when he switched up to the 250 class. So that yeah, of, yeah, and and I'm I'm not going to make any. You know, a, a year ago I'd have probably given you a different answer due to political reasons. But right. I mean, the fact is, is that if you go back to those early 2000s and you go right way back to um, McGrath, yeah, and then Langston and every other effort. We were we were not ready. That bike was not ready to win Supercross races. I mean, we yeah. could compete in the 125 over the deficiencies in the, in the chassis, right? Um, because we had a really strong motor, and the 125 chassis wasn't as important. But we could not compete in the 250. And so, you know, I was the you know the racing director. I had to do my best, but yeah. you know, there was that you know there wasn't really anything yeah. that Grant could do. We you know, we we weren't ready for Supercross and there was nothing Jeremy McGrath could do. We weren't ready for Supercross and and you know, now KTM is absolutely ready for Supercross. Yeah, how big of a blow was uh the M C deal for you, uh as a PR wise and as a company uh, company wide, how how depressing was that? Were you uh, ready to ready to launch yourself off of a uh, nearest building? No, I mean we battled through it because mm-hmm. the bikes were still you know, selling really, really well, especially the off-road bikes. Um, yeah. But you know, the the writing was on the wall, and I mean, we had some really good people involved. Then guys like Ron Heben and you know, Sel Nariana and, and Larry Brooks, and these people that knew a lot about it. And mm-hmm. to a man, we all knew what had to be changed on the bike to be competitive in Supercross. Yeah. And it just took it took a long long time politically to get that through yeah. Um, yeah but you know like i say now we're in 2011 and we can look back and say finally the right things happened but yeah. you know looking back you know there was nothing jeremy could do yeah. there was a, there was nothing grant langston could do you know they they were on a bike that was that was difficult to compete on was that uh, was that your call signing Jeremy? Was that uh, they came to you? You approached them? Was that? Did you have a no, lot to do with it? It was no. I had nearly nothing to do oh, with it. Okay. It was it was all Ron Heben, mm-hmm. and he signed Jeremy for all the right reasons, yep. and Jeremy signed for all the right reasons. But again, we yep. weren't we were not ready for Jeremy. Um, yep. And I, you know, now if yep. if KTM, I mean KTM signed Andrew Shaw, which is great. Mm-hmm. And if, you know if. They're ready for James Stewart or Chad Reed or Ryan Villapoto or Ryan Dungey right now. I'm right. sure of that. It just needs the right contract deal to come together. Yeah. The bike ready for it. And so, you know, that's the important thing. Yeah. I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna see Porcel over there. I, I was betting heavily on that, but uh didn't happen. But um anyways. Yeah, I, yeah. We will see. I mean yeah. I, I would rather see them now. Um you know, I I still I get on really well with John Eric Burleson, the president of KTM North America, and mm-hmm. you know I'd really like to see the next step taken. Um, and I think that if Villapoto or Dungey, um, a rider of that yep. you know, caliber, championship-winning rider, was to, to ride the bike right now, yep. um, and was in a position to be able to sign, then that would be the right way to go. Right, right. Um, hey, why? And let's go back, take it back to your career. I always uh, wondered as a kid why you dropped down to 250s. 
um, because Jackie Martins, Jorgen Nielsen, Shane King, uh, Marcus did Marcus Nielsen win a World Championship? Marcus Hansen. Marcus yeah, he Hansen. Won a year after I think, or uh, a couple of years after that, I left. Those, yeah. those were your years, Nickel. That, that was all you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> you know, I, not to belittle I, those guys, but no. But looking back, uh, you know, I probably. I would agree with you now. I mean, if if I could go back, I'd rather win a couple of titles in 500 because, you know, no yeah. one really cares now whether the 500 class was the strongest or the 250. But right. at that time, I'd, I'd just finished fourth, uh, second for the fourth time in the 500 <laughs> class. And I honestly couldn't really face another year in there. Right. Unless I was, unless someone would give me the title at the first round, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that I knew that I couldn't not get the title again, I I, I couldn't Just, really face doing it again. And, wow. and the 250 class was so stacked. I mean, that was the 93, 94 was you know even way stronger championships than the mid 80s 500 championships. You think? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Schmidt, Everts, uh, Puzar, uh, yeah, more. Um, Demaria, Herbert, yeah. Boland, Demaria, Bolle. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got photos at home which, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's ten people launching off a jump, and all ten of them are, you know, either world championship winners or yeah. or really close to it. So, right, right. I just wanted to race in that, and I wanted to prove that I could race in that, and I did prove I could race in it. I mean, I wasn't good enough to win a title yeah. in that. And I probably could have won a title in 500, but you know, you make the decisions at the time. I, I don't, I don't regret it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not. Uh, how, how did you do in the 250 GPs? Pardon my lack of homework. Uh, I finished fourth and fourth, I think, yeah. in the first two years that I did it. Right, uh, which is probably, uh, you know, pretty good considering, like you said, that the talent level. Um, no, no, it yeah. was great, and All I right. won, I think, three 250 GPs, and yeah. um, no, I, I, I surprised a lot of people by being competitive at all, because yeah. people didn't used to go from 500 to 250 in those days, and yeah, exactly. I, I was, you know, I was really proud, and I, you know, now, being like 120 years old, or however old <laughs> I am, I, you know, I would obviously right. like a title, but, I mean, if I could go back now and go to 93 and ride in the 500 class and not win, I mean, I might have thrown myself off that bridge you were talking about. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you hadn't beaten Marcus uh, Hansen yeah, for the title. Exactly. Um, yeah, that ja would have been wrist-slitting stuff. Or Jackie Martins on a Husaberg 610 or whatever he was on. Um, uh, uh, interesting. And, hey, didn't you have a good ride? And I think I remember reading the magazines. Didn't you have a good ride in Australia in the sand in those nations? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I won. I won the 500 class in yeah. Up. beating um, JMB. The only time I ever beat him. Really? Um, yeah, <laughs> really. And it was the only time I ever beat him. I think full stop. I didn't race with him very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I still think he was just the most talented rider I ever saw. Oh, was, um, that's a overall. that's a question I have for you. So the JMB. Is. Yeah, he he's the most talented rider I ever saw. And I saw a whole heap of talented right. riders. And, you know, Everts is right there with him. Yep. Um, but um, JMB was really phenomenal on talent. I mean, mm -hmm. I, my best memory was when we were racing uh, GP at Glen Helen. Yep. And he was leading and I was second. And he was, he was pulling away, I don't know, three, four seconds a lap or whatever he used to do to me. Yeah. And, cruising away and all of a sudden um my lap board said that i was catching him yeah and i thought wow like i'm really on it yeah and uh so then um i pulled into him i think for like three or four laps i actually caught him yeah and then he pulled away from me again and you know i came to the end of the race and he beat me by 20 seconds and and i realized that on the exact lap that i decided to catch him he got a rear wheel puncher it took him like three laps to realize how to ride with the three rear wheel puncher, and then he started pulling away from me again with the rear wheel puncher. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Oh, okay, I'm good. My wheel's not going to blow up. Here I go. Here, yeah, here comes Nickel, but like I, I got I got this guy covered." Um, but they manage him up. I, you know, yeah. I, I I rode really well that second race that I won there. I 
you know, I, I definitely pulled yeah. away. I think J and B was second or third and that was it was it was that a was, great day. It was raining and it was miserable and it was English and so Yeah, and it was his last ever race. I believe his last ever motocross race too. He was going, yeah, he was going road racing. Think, I don't think he was super motivated anymore. Yeah. Uh, although he did win the first moto. I saw that on YouTube. It's on YouTube if you want to look for it, Nickel. Um I think he wins the first moto. Right, yeah. But I, I think you're right. The second moto he won was, the first moto and I won the second one. Yeah, the second moto was not on YouTube though, bastards. Uh, it, uh, why does that happen? I don't know. I it's that. conspiracy against Kurt Nickel. Yeah. <laughs> um uh well cool man. Thanks uh thanks a lot. I, a couple of questions I had for you before we wrap it up. Uh your best race ever? Ninety I mean your personal best race where you just felt unbeatable? Is it uh is it this nations or I mean, is there one that comes sticks out in my, in your mind? Um, I, I think my best ever race was the one that you wanted me to pick earlier. I yeah. think that first race in 97 at the Motocosta Nations. Okay, which in the mud. Per, yeah. yeah, turned out to be, that was my last, you know, professional, full-time professional event because I, yeah. I broke my arm badly at the beginning of 98 and then quit. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I also, you know, had some... I think that my most enjoyable racing, believe it or not, has been winning the Supermoto Championships in the really? U.S. in the oh, last wow. few years just because That's I had cool. no pressure and just, mm -hmm. you know, had a heaps and heaps of fun and had fantastic people around me and could mix it with my job. And, yeah. You know, I think that was, that's been, this, the swan song has been uh, more fun than anything else I've done. Yeah, more than you can imagine, I guess, if you were some rainy day in uh in the more you'd never yeah. imagine yourself like in in racing supermoto in, in america you know what i mean no. like it's funny how it, where it takes you right? amazing and to be you know 44 years old or whatever i was when i won that last championship yeah. is you know it's pretty amazing yeah it uh it's terrible that supermoto went away it was really cool a little boon there That's yeah no I, I enjoyed it i'm i miss it i yeah. really do i mean it would be great if it would come back i i'd Still, I'm sitting here in Utah on my bike that I won that championship in 2009. Is sitting in the workshop here, and it's still exactly how it was when it oh, when cool. I was the finish line in 2009. And, yeah. But I'll dust it off if someone <laughs> gives me a reason. No problem, huh? I think you still fit into your leathers too, so no no issues there. Um, hey, did you when you retired? Did you have a lot of money put away? Like, did you financially was it pretty rewarding for you? Um, it, it, no, I mean it was all right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I made. Uh, yeah, you, I made enough so that I, you know, I, I'm not, uh, was never going to be destitute. Right, right. Uh, you missed the glory years by a little bit, huh? I, I did, but, yeah. you know, I I also have a character which um, means that I, I have to be busy. I mm -hmm. have to have a, you know, I, I love working. And yeah. um, I don't know, I, leisure time for me is is enjoyable because I've worked hard. And so, right. um, you know, if you, if you, I don't buy lottery tickets cause I don't want to win the lottery because I'm pretty yeah. damn happy with my life exactly how it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Really? Huh? Uh, I agree. You've done, you've done a whole lot. Um, thank you for coming on the racer X sports.com podcast show. Uh, I feel like I could, we could go another hour nickel, but we, we can't because, uh, <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> uh, well, right on, man. When will we see you next at the races? Uh, any plans? Um, I probably uh, will uh, not go to any supercrosses until Vegas because mm -hmm. we, you know, we're getting right into production on this 3D movie. And yep. Um, but my my wife's announcing the mini moto in Vegas before the supercross event, so I think we'll go that weekend. And uh, cool. So I'll probably see you there. And uh, NitroCircus.com. Is that where people can go to check stuff out? Yep, nitrocircus.com um, to check out everything that we're doing. We're actually revamping that website right now, and it's going to have some really cool stuff coming on it, um, some really interactive stuff that all our fans can join in on. And then uh, check out nitrocircuslive.com as well. Cool. Um, and we should be announcing the tour dates for the U.S., I think, within the next month or so. Right on. Perfect. Well, thank you again for doing this, man. Always uh, always a class act. Always nice to talk to. And, uh, yeah, a guy who's uh, been there and done it and seen it all and got second four times. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Nickel. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Steve. See ya. 
This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show brought to you by RacerX. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts. You know I'm about to run. I won't let this die. You know I've got this.